Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles this morning. Let's go back to the book of Ruth. As we started 2020, 2020, the Lord clearly spoke to me and said that this is going to be a year of my favor. If I've ever heard the Lord speak to me, I heard the Lord speak to me. And I think that you're probably convinced by now that I heard from the Lord because I can't stop talking about it. I just keep talking about favor. When we had our family Christmas gathering today, the Lord told me to pull my family together, my my parents, my brother, my sisters, my nieces and my nephews, my great nieces and my great nephews, and to pray favor over them in 2020. I just believe that this is a year when we're going to experience the favor of God unlike we have ever experienced his favor. Now, we always experience the favor of God as the children of God, but not at the level that God wants to extend his favor to us in 2020. We've talked about favor and how that favor is God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. Has anybody here ever had God do something for you that you couldn't have made happen if you'd tried with all your might, with all your wisdom, with all your knowledge? And then God comes along and does something you couldn't do or connects you to a person that you've been trying to get introduced to and you've been trying to get connected to. And then all of a sudden God presents that opportunity to you. The favor of God is God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. And we cannot earn the favor of God. We don't discern the fa- or we, we don't deserve the favor of God. But we can position ourselves to receive God's favor. And the way that we do that is through obedience. We talked about how that the key to experiencing the favor of God is obedience. So, so God's favor is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that's what we see taking place here in this story of Ruth and Naomi. God is doing for Ruth and Naomi what Ruth and Naomi could have never done for themselves. We know how the story began in Ruth chapter 1. That Elimelech, a man whose name means God is king, takes his two sons, Malon and Killian, sick and dying is what their names mean. Along with his wife, Naomi, whose name meant sweet and pleasant. He takes his family out of Bethlehem because of a famine in Bethlehem. He takes his family to a place called Moab. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about Moab. Just know that it was cursed by God. They worshipped the false god Chemosh. And many people would worship Chemosh in Moab by sacrificing their children. It involved child sacrifice. So they were under the curse of God. But Elimelech takes his family, goes to Moab, I think, thinking that this is the best thing for my family right now, trying to find them something to eat, maybe trying to find a good job. But then he gets to Moab, and the Bible doesn't tell us what the time period is or what caused it, but Elimelech dies. And not long after that, his two sons, Malon and Kilion, they die. 
And that's, an, that, that's so ironic because he, he goes to Moab trying to save his family's life and they go to Moab and end up dying. Well, now Naomi and Ruth and Orpah, they're widows. And Naomi hears that God has once again visited his people in Bethlehem, that the famine is over. And so she decides to go back to Bethlehem and her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, decide to go back with her. And so they begin their journey back to Bethlehem. And about halfway on the trip, Naomi begins to think, you know what, I don't have anything to offer these girls. And so she says to them here in verse 11 of chapter 1, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? And then she said in verse 12, again, Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. We don't know exactly how old she was. Most people believe she was probably in her 50s and either beyond the, the, the ability to produce children or just didn't want any more children at that stage and season of her life. And she said, I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried to them? Now, what she's introducing to us here is something that we read about in Leviticus chapter 25, which is a law of a kinsman redeemer. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 25, we read about what is called the Leverite marriage. And, and, and look at this, if you would, please. I know we've talked about a kinsman redeemer, but let me try to give you a little bit more clarity. In Leviticus chapter 25, beginning at verse 23, God told the nation of Israel that the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. How many of you know that this land belongs to God? We're really not the owners of anything. God has just entrusted property to us, and we are to be good stewards of what God has given to us. Everything belongs to God. And so God reminds them, this is not your land, it's my land, and it doesn't need to be sold permanently. He said, throughout the land that you hold as a possession, you must provide for the redemption of the land. And so he tells us in verse 25, if one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. It's the law of a kinsman redeemer. That if a man were to die, then it would become the responsibility of the next nearest relative to redeem property that he had lost. Maybe this happened to Elimelech when he left Bethlehem. We don't know. Maybe he had fallen on hard times. Maybe he sold his property before he left for Bethlehem and needed somebody. Naomi needed somebody that could buy that land back. Or maybe they still owned the property, but when Naomi got back, maybe she was so broke that she needed to sell the property and it became the responsibility of the next nearest kinsman to buy that property from her. But then there is also this law of a Levite marriage in Deuteronomy chapter 5 that she's talking about here that says if brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. 
So that's what should have happened here in the case of Ruth. She was married to Malon. And when Malon died, then his brother, Killian, should have assumed responsibility for Ruth. But what had happened to Killian? He had died as well. And so now it becomes the responsibility of the next nearest male relative that they have to marry Ruth and to provide for Ruth and to protect Ruth. And so we go on to verse 6 and it says that the first son that she bears by this new husband shall carry on the name not of the husband but of the dead brother, her ex-husband that had passed away so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. Now that's very important for us to remember as we go into the last couple of chapters of this book. She's introducing us to the law of a kinsman redeemer and a Levite marriage. Well, after she tells her daughter-in-laws to go back to Moab, Orpah goes, but Ruth clings to, to Naomi and says, wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people will be my people. And here's the key. Your God will be my God. Most people believe at that moment is when Ruth had her conversion experience. When she decided to stop worshiping Chemosh, the God of the Moabites, and begin to worship the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so we see that Naomi and Ruth, they go back to Bethlehem. When they get back to Bethlehem, the women notice, is that Ruth? Because she doesn't look like the same woman coming back that she did leaving. And sure enough, she wasn't. She even said, don't even call me Naomi. Sweet and pleasant, call me bitter, call me Mara, because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. She said, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back again empty. And so the Bible tells us there at the last verse of Ruth chapter 1, it said that Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now listen, that is so important because here's what it means. It means that the famine, the physical famine is over and the barley harvest has come in. It, it is a sign because the barley harvest is the first harvest of the season. A sign that it's time for new things to begin happening. I don't believe that this was just the end of a physical famine in Naomi and Ruth's life. I believe that a famine, whether it be physically, whether it be emotionally, whatever famine they've been in, I believe that that famine in their life is about to end. Now, I'm going to tell you this morning, some of you, before we got into 2020, maybe you have been in a famine. Maybe it seems like the windows of heaven have been shut up and you've been praying that God would bless you and you've been praying that God would favor you, but the windows of heaven have been shut and you have been in a famine. It's been a dry season. I'm telling you, in 2020, if you will position yourself before God in obedience, your famine is about to come to an end and you're about to experience the blessing and favor of God in your life. So what Ruth sees, Ruth sees this as an opportunity. Now I want you to notice whether it's chapter 1, chapter 2, or chapter 3 that we're going to look at today. Every chapter ends leaving us waiting. And that's what happens here in chapter 1. It just tells us it was the beginning of the barley harvest. 
But what Ruth sees is opportunity. Because when you go to chapter 2, and here's what Ruth understood. Ruth understood that the barley harvest doesn't last long. So if we're going to get out there and, and get some food, we're going to have to move and we're going to have to move quick. We're going to have to go and we're going to have to go fast. And so she says to her mother-in-law, Naomi, she said, I'm going to go out into a field to glean and hopefully I can find a field where somebody will show me favor. Now, we talked about it last week, that, that gleaning law that was God's welfare system for the nation of Israel. That he had commanded the owners of those fields and the managers of those fields that you don't pick any of your harvest in the corners of the field. And if you're picking the harvest, reaping the harvest, and you accidentally drop some, don't pick it up. And if something accidentally falls off your wagon, don't pick it up. Leave it for those who are poor, those who are widowed, and for the alien. But notice, they still had to work for what they got. Because if Ruth hadn't have gone out and worked, they still wouldn't have eaten. Did you know that you can still go hungry in a famine? Or you can go hungry even when a famine has ended if you're not being obedient to God and taking advantage of the opportunities that God places before you. Now that's a good preaching point right there. If you don't write anything else down, you may want to write that down. You can still starve to death even when the famine has ended if you're not seizing the opportunity and the moment that God has placed before you. And so she goes out into a field to glean and you would just know, the Bible says, as it happened, she ended up in the field of Boaz. Boaz, who we were introduced in chapter 2, verse 1, that he was a man of standing, which means he was powerful. He was wealthy. He was noble. He was brave. He was the most eligible bachelor in all of Bethlehem. And Ruth just happens to end up in his field. Now, I know you probably think, well, she probably saw his name on the field. No, they didn't put their name on fields. They didn't have fences. They didn't have boundaries. You had no idea whose field you were in. But it just so happened. Now, we know this is the hand of God, the providence of God, showing up in this story, working behind the scenes so that his purpose will be fulfilled. And, he, and she just happens to show up in, in Boaz and find favor in Boaz's field. And last week, we talked about the field of favor and as she gets to Boaz's field, the Bible says it just so happened that he showed up at that very same time. And he noticed Ruth out there gleaning in the field. And he had never seen her before. And so he asked, who is this girl out here in the field? They said, it's Ruth, the Moabitess. She came back with her mother-in-law, Naomi, from Moab. And Boaz had already heard about Ruth and what a person of character she was and how much she loved her mother-in-law, Naomi. So he brought her over to him. And here's what he said to her. He said, don't glean in someone else's field. How many of you know that if you want to experience the favor of God, you got to stay in the right field. You got to stay in the field of favor. And he said, I've commanded these guys out here that they're to take care of you, that they're not to harass you. They're not to give you a hard time. They're not to say anything vulgar to you they're not to disrespect you and i've told them if they did i got a big field here and we'll they'll never find your body you take care of this girl when she's hungry you give her something to eat when she's thirsty you give her something to drink and she responds to him in verse 10 and says why have i found such favor in your eyes you know i've asked god that question more than once because none of us deserve the favor of god 
None of us can earn the favor of God. And so she said, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And he said, here's why I noticed you. He said, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with the people that you did not know before. Notice the first thing that attracted Boaz to her was not her looks because she's probably hot and sweaty and nasty, got her hair up in a ball on her head. She is not having her finest haughty moment. <laughs> but it was her character that attracted Boaz to her. Remember that those of you that are looking for a husband or for a wife. If you marry just because they're hot, let me tell you something, hell's hot too. <laughs> and if you marry just because they're hot, there'll come a time when you think you're there. <laughs> Amen. So it's, his, it's her character that attracts him to her. And then in verse 12, he says to her, he said, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see, he had noticed what kind of a woman that she was and that she had come and, and found refuge under the almighty wings of God, that she had forsaken the life and the gods of Moab, and she was now trusting in the God of Israel. And he noticed those things about her. And then the Bible says this. The Bible says later that day he asked her to have lunch with him. And so she's having lunch with him and he gives her so much lunch that she has leftovers. She puts the leftovers in a doggy bag and she takes them back to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And not only that, but that day he told the folks and he told the folks in the field, he said, I don't want you to accidentally drop some things. I want you to intentionally leave a trail of grain, a trail of barley intentionally drop some of them big old bundles that you've got for her to pick up handfuls on purpose and the bible said when she left that day she had enough grain it measured an ephah three quarters of a bushel 30 pounds enough to feed her and her mother-in-law for two weeks i'm telling you when god does something god does it right and what god would do is he would use boaz to answer his own prayer we talked about that last week. And so Naomi comes home and she says, or, or Ruth comes home and Naomi asks her, she said, whose field did you glean in? And she said, Boaz. And here's what Naomi does. She said, well, the Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And she added, that man, remember what we talked about just a minute ago about a kinsman redeemer? That man is our close relative. And he is one of our guardian redeemers. Hey, folks, this is not by accident. This is not by chance. This is the providential hand of God working all of this. And then notice that the book ends by saying that Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Again, we're left waiting. The barley and the wheat harvest, that would mean that about six months has passed, and nothing has happened. Girls, how many of you know what it's like? Guys, how many of you know what it's like to go out on a first date with somebody and feel like everything went really good and it's been six months and you ain't got a phone call? And you're wondering, I thought things went well. Why hasn't he called? 
Because she would come home every day and Naomi would say, well, did you see Boaz today? Yeah. What did he say? Nothing. Or, no, I didn't see him. He wasn't there today. Or, yes, I said, well, what did he do? He didn't do anything. Six months go by and nothing is happening. But again, we go into chapter 3 and we see opportunity abounds. Because look at what Naomi does. And I've titled today's message, Decent Proposal. I won't ask you if you've seen the movie Indecent Proposal. Some of us may have before we were sanctified. But notice what happens here. It says, one day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her daughter, or to her daughter-in-law, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. We ain't going to just sit around here waiting any longer. She goes on and says, now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours, and tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor, separating the barley from the stalk and the husks. And I, I'm not going to go through all of the process of that because I don't, I don't think it's important. But he would have been at the threshing floor that night winnowing his barley. And so she said that Boaz is a close relative of ours. And so here's what she, tell, here's what she says to her daughter-in-law. Take a bath. <laughs> Put on some perfume. And get out your best dress. Now let me say something else to you single men and women. If you're looking and you want to make yourself available, take a bath. <laughs> It'll help you. Put on some deodorant, guys. Put on some deodorant and get out your best clothes. Because you are about to meet Boaz. And she says to her, put, put, wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking because you don't mess with the man until he's done eating. I heard that, David. I see your post on Facebook all the time. You got some pretty pictures of food plates. And then notice what she said. She said, when he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he'll tell you what to do. Now, let me tell you what's not going on here. She's not telling her to do something immoral. And if she is telling her to do something immoral, Ruth doesn't do it. Because there was a custom in that day that prostitutes would go to the threshing floor after men had worked all day and they would sleep with their grain to make sure that nobody came in to steal it. And in the middle of the night, prostitutes would come and proposition them, giving themselves in return for some food. And so some people think that's what's going on here. That is not what's going on here. There's nothing immoral happening here. She said, go uncover his feet and lie down and he'll tell you what to do. Why would she tell him to uncover his feet? How many of you who are married been sleeping together. Notice I said married. You've slept together and you wake up in the middle of the night and your partner has hogged all the covers and your feet are left exposed to the cold. It wakes you up, doesn't it? And you have to reach down and you have to pull the blanket back over your feet. Well, that's what Naomi has in mind here. 
And so we go on in the story, and here's what Ruth said to her mother-in-law. She said, I'll do whatever you say. And she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. And when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, may have had a little bit too much to drink, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. And Ruth, Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Notice she's doing what her mother-in-law tells her to do. And in the middle of the night, something startled the man. His feet got cold. And he turned and noticed that this statement ends with an exclamation point. There was a woman lying at his feet. Now you gotta understand, it's dark outside. And you notice that the mother-in-law told Ruth, she said, now make sure you keep your eyes on Boaz because you don't want to go and lay down at the feet of the wrong person. It's going to be dark, so you're going to have to watch. You can't have a lantern because there's too many things there that could, could erupt in flames if you, have a, if you have a lantern. You've got to go when it's dark, when it's pitch black outside. And so he goes, lays down. She comes, lays at his feet, and then he, startled in the middle of the night, recognizes her. He's probably thinking, somebody's here to proposition me. And that's unusual for him because he's known as a man of character. And then notice we're going, and he says, who are you? And she said, notice, she doesn't say, Ruth the Moabite. She said, I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now, let me tell you what Ruth is doing here. She is proposing to Boaz, but she's doing it in a decent way. And if she's not proposing to him, then she's proposing to him that he proposed to her. Because that was the custom of that day and still is, that they would have a mantle, they would have a shawl, they would have a blanket-like uh, item around them. And when you would propose to somebody, and in many places it's still like this, you would take them and you would put them under your shawl. You would put them under your wings saying, I'll take you in, I'll provide for you, I will protect you. And so that's what Ruth is doing here with Boaz. But notice, in the beginning, it's really nothing more than a business deal. Because it's not her that she has in mind as much as it is Naomi. Naomi needs someone next of kin to redeem her property. But by the time we get to the end of the story, we find out that what started off as just a little business deal. Now Naomi, or now Ruth and Boaz are madly in love with one another. And we're coming up on Valentine's Day. This is a good, good story to lead us into Valentine's Day. And so she said, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of my family. And then he said, the Lord bless you, my daughter. The kindness, this kindness, is greater than that which you showed earlier when you were faithful with, to, to your mother-in-law to come back from Moab with your mother-in-law to, to take care of and to provide for her. This kindness is even greater than that. And notice what he said. He said, you've not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. That will keep you out of a lot of trouble, married folk. I'll just leave that right there. Younger men or younger women. Verse 11, now my daughter, don't be afraid. Here's what he says. This is Boaz still talking to Ruth. I will do for you all that you ask. Wow. 
I will do for you all that you ask. What a generous man this is. I'm, I'm going to tell you something right now. He, he's, a, he's a big catch in Bethlehem. I wouldn't doubt if what, there are not other women in Bethlehem that, that wanted Boaz because of what kind of a man that he was. And then he said this, he said, all the people of my town know that you're a woman of noble character. Everybody say noble character. When you go to Proverbs chapter 31 and it talks about the virtuous woman, it begins by talking about her noble character. And here's what's interesting. In our Bibles, the book of Ruth comes after the book of Judges. But in the Hebrew scriptures, the book of Ruth comes right after the book of Proverbs. So right after Proverbs 31 about a virtuous woman, we go into the story of Ruth who was a virtuous woman of noble character. Isn't it amazing how the Holy Spirit positions things? And he said, everybody knows you're a woman of noble character. Also, it's true that I am the guardian redeemer of our family. But, and here's the hitch in the story. There is another who is more closely related than I. Man, just when you think you're about to hear wedding bells. This man of integrity speaks up and says, yes, I am one of your redeemers, but there is a relative who is more closely connected to you than me. Now, I don't know how Ruth may have felt in this moment, but you've got to think her heart sank. Because she probably doesn't know this. Naomi may know this, and Boaz knows this, and maybe that's why Boaz has not proposed to her up until this moment. Maybe that's why he's not really shown much interest in her up until this moment is because he knew that there was somebody else closer to the family that had the first right to redeem. But notice what he says. He said, but stay here for the night and in the morning if he wants to do his duty as your garden redeemer, guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But I love this. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Just lie here until in the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, nobody must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. So what can we do? And here's what he does. He said, bring me the shawl that you're wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. Notice, hold your shawl out. And he filled it up. And Bible, Bible commentators tell us that it was between 60 to 80 pounds of barley that she wrapped up in her shawl and threw over her shoulder and took it back home. But the main reason he was doing this is not just to bless them with food, but that people would think that she's been gleaning in the fields all night long. He's protecting her, protecting her character. And then notice, when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, Naomi asked her, well, how did it go, my daughter? Did you know that some translations even say this? Who are you? Naomi? She knew who, or who are you, Ruth? She, she, Naomi knew who Ruth was, but here's what she was saying. She was saying, are you still Ruth, the widow, or are you Ruth, the married woman? But she says, how did it go, my daughter? And then she told her everything that Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law 
empty-handed. I came back, or I left full, she said, but I came back empty. But Boaz says, we don't want Naomi to be empty-handed. And listen to me, God doesn't want any of you here this morning to be empty-handed. God wants to bless you. And you know, here, here Naomi was thinking that she was empty, but she really wasn't empty. The problem was there was a lid on her life that was keeping her from receiving the blessings and the favor of God. And there's a lid on some people's lives here this morning that are keeping you from receiving God's best, God's blessing, God's favor. We've talked about disobedience. For Naomi, it could have been bitterness. It could have been resentment. It could have been unforgiveness. It could have been holding a grudge. And I believe that God was just saying to her, if you'll just, if you'll just take that lid off of your life, then I can pour in my blessings and my favor. I wonder how many people here this morning have a lid on your life because of bitterness, because of hurt, because of anger or resentment or unforgiveness or disobedience or sin in your life. Listen, it's not that you are empty. Listen, as a child of God, Ephesians chapter 1 says this. Ephesians chapter 1 says that God has given us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. His word says that everything we need that pertains to life and godliness has been made available to us. But if there's a lid on our life, God can't pour it in. I pray in Jesus' name that the lid will be lifted today. That if there's somebody you need to release, if there's somebody that you need to forgive, if there's something you need to confess, if there's something that you need to get rid of in your life and repent of in your life, whatever it is, whatever that lid is in your life, it needs to go. Because 2020 will be just like any other year if you keep that lid. You've been living every year of your life with that lid on your, on your life and, and then wondering why is everybody else being blessed? Why is God's favor showing up in everybody else's life but mine? Get rid of the lid. That's tweetable right there. Get rid of the lid. Would you stand with me this morning? And I believe that Naomi does. Because whereas this book started off with her being bitter, she is now blessing. Blessing Boaz. Blessing Ruth. And, and then notice how, how this, this book ends. Then it says, then, then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. Here we are again in chapter 3 and we're left waiting. She said, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. You see, Boaz was a man of integrity. Boaz was a man of character. And what he said, they knew. Naomi knew. He'll do it. Did you know that you have a kinsman redeemer? 
And his name is Jesus. And what he said he will do, he will do it. Amen. <laughs> He'll do it. And I can tell you this, he will not rest. God will not rest. The Lord Jesus will not rest. The Holy Spirit will not rest until he has done what he says he will do in your life. Oh, somebody ought to be thankful this morning for a redeemer that's faithful for a redeemer that has character and integrity for a redeemer that'll do what he says he'll do if he said he'll save you he'll save you if he said he'll heal you he'll heal you if he said he'll deliver you and set you free he'll deliver you and set you free if he said that he's going to save your children he'll save your children amen if he said he's going to save your spouse he'll save your spouse you can take it to the bank when God tells you he's going to do something. He will do it. Oh, come on, thank him one more time. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis people's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.